Our scripture this morning comes from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29, verse 1 and verses 4 through 7. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. If you were here last week, you might remember we talked a lot about comfort zones, about how uh, as Christians, believers in Christ, we have to uh, get out of our comfort zones. We can't find a place where we are just cozy and just stay there. That defeats the the purpose of being a follower of of Christ. This week, we're going to kind of uh, carry on with that that mode of thinking. We're going to talk about accepting the zones, the new zones that we are placed in. It's not enough just to leave your comfort zone for the sake of the kingdom or for for the sake of uh, God's work and his will. But we also have to, once we are in our new location, once we are where God wants us, we have to accept that situation for what it is. Because only in accepting that situation can we truly make a difference in, in the lives of other people around us. Now, uh, if if you're familiar, you may not be familiar with the term, but you're familiar with the concept of liturgical response. What I mean by that is when a pastor will get up and say something and the the congregation will echo it back. We do this sometimes. At Christmas time, we say, Emmanuel, God is with us. You're right on it. Uh, and and, and there's, there's another one um, that, that I don't know that we do here. You may have heard it before, maybe not. But sometimes people will stand up and they'll say, God is good all the time. Okay, so y'all have heard it. And then the pastor will say, and all the time, God is good. So y'all are familiar with that. Great. That, uh, those two responses are, are um, critical in, in how we perceive our place in the world. We understand that God is with us no matter where we are. God is with us. And then that second one, God is good all the time, all the time God is good, is a declaration that God is not going to do anything to harm us. And, and God is, is good. He is, he is looking out for, um, for our good. He's looking out for us. Now that, that response there, that God is good all the time, um, that's got some interesting origins. That uh, call and response actually originated in Africa, in Nigeria. And it actually picked up steam in another African country, uh, Liberia, when they were going through a time of of great civil unrest, civil war. 
people were witnessing uh, family members just uh, being imprisoned and, and tortured in front of them. And it was just a horrible scene there in Liberia. And during that time, uh, Christianity was also growing. And, and, they, and it called on. That was kind of the thing that they, they would say to remind themselves, no matter what is going on in the situation, no matter what kind of civil unrest or war or torture we are going through, God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. And it called on, and people started saying it all the time. And, and now, even here in the Western world, we say it all the time. But that's where the origins came from. And I find that fascinating, because we can say that, and we say it usually from our pews, from our comfort zones, but it comes from a place where people were just not comfortable at all. They were in a terrible, terrible place physically and geographically, but yet they could acknowledge God is with us, and God is good to us. And that's very powerful. That's key in coming to a place of acceptance. And that's really what we're talking about here. We are talking about uh, coming to acceptance of where you are, where God has placed you in, in, in your life. And as we read this scripture where Jeremiah is talking to the people of Israel, that's what he's saying. He's saying you have to accept where you are, where God has placed you. Now when we talk about the stages of grief, uh, a, a lot of times acceptance is the last thing on our mind. And that's the last step. And, and not everybody can just jump right to acceptance. It's hard. You have to go through a grieving process, especially when you're in, in disorientation or, or, or going through something very tragic. And you go through what they call the stages of grief, where at first there's denial, and then there's anger, there's, there's bargaining. And, and eventually you, you make your way to acceptance, but that's the last step. And, and we all have a hard time coming to a place of acceptance, no matter what we're going through. And God knows that. God knows we have to go through the stages of grief. But the end result is always acceptance, because it's then that we can retain the power that he gives us to live our lives the way he intends for us to live them in our new situation. People go through these stages of grief. People have to come through acceptance for a number of reasons. As I said earlier, we, we have a lot of uh, refugees here in our own state, people who have relocated from the East Coast trying to escape the storm, trying to stay safe, and they don't know what waits for them back home. They don't know if they've lost their house or their family or their, their pets or anything like that. Uh, it may all be washed away. They don't know. And so they're going through this anxiety right now. And it's hard for them to just jump right into acceptance. This is a hard command for them. There may be people who are sick, who don't know what the future holds for them. Or maybe they have sick loved ones, and they don't know what the future holds for them, or, or how to care for them. There may be people who are unemployed, who have lost a, a, a job. And, and, and the key into uh, eventually living into that situation is to go through the grief, to go through the dark times, but to remember God is with us and God is good, and eventually he will lead us to a place where we can own our new situation. We can own that place, and he can give us the power to do that. Now, I know when I talk about the loss of a job or unemployment or anything like that, it's easy to think that I'm talking about complacency. You're talking about somebody who loses a job and they come to what they call acceptance and they're like, okay, fine, I'll just, you know, not work anymore. That's not what I'm talking about. 
There's a big difference in acceptance and complacency. Complacency is just a total uh, loss of power. It's a total uh, feeling of just saying, well, everything is useless. Acceptance is understanding that we've lost the power, but we are now giving it to God. And God can give us power back to live out his will in that situation. So to use the example again of, of like a job situation, acceptance isn't saying, okay, well, I'm unemployed now and there's nothing I can do about it. Acceptance is saying, okay, this is my new reality and I've got to go back to the drawing board and figure out what's next. Acceptance requires us to let go of the past. It requires us to let go of what our ideas of the future were in order to grab on to the present and to make the most of what our present situation actually is. Acceptance means understanding that we can make a difference for God if we're willing to let go of all the other things that we have clung on to. And that's what the scripture is about today. God is telling the Israelites that it's time for them to accept where they are. Now, just to give you a little bit of context, Israel had been attacked. They had been sacked by Babylon. They were now in exile. They were captives. Uh, the, the land was desolate. The temple had been destroyed. And they were in a foreign land where people worshipped foreign gods. And they were, they were grieving being there. The, the entire book of Lamentations is about them grieving it. But some, some powerful things happened during this time of exile. Most of our Old Testament was actually written. It was actually committed to, to uh, I don't know that they wrote on paper, but whatever they were writing on in those days was written during the time of exile because until then everything had been passed down orally. And then here they are in exile in Babylon and they say, you know, we have a rich history, we have a rich tradition, we have a God who loves us and who is here with us even in exile. We need to write all this down. We need to, before we become more scattered, before something else happens, we need to write it all down. And that's how we have most of the Old Testament because most of it was written down during that time. But as they were there in exile, as they were there in Babylon, grieving the loss of their homeland, grieving the loss of the temple, God speaks and, and through Jeremiah, and he basically says, your time of grieving is over. It's time for you to accept where you are, to understand where you are, and to understand that you can be a blessing here. We call these places that we, we go to in our lives, that we end up in, where we're filled with uncertainty or doubt, we call them the wilderness. If anybody was ever in the wilderness, the nation of Israel was in the wilderness here. They didn't know where to go, where to turn. God was saying, you're not going anywhere for a little while. So it's time for you to build your homes, plant your gardens, invest in your future, and be a blessing to those around you. Now let's look at the commands that he gives. First he says, build your houses. What does that imply? It implies you are here. And you're not going anywhere anytime soon. So get used to the fact that you are here. Go ahead and build your homes here. And the second thing he tells them is plant your gardens. Live off the land. In other words, take care of the land that's around you and let it take care of you. Take care of yourselves. If you've ever been so grief-stricken and so unaccepting of your current situation, you know that you can, you can really fail to take care of yourself. 
But God is saying, you're, you're here, you're going to be here a while, take care of yourself. And then he says, give your daughters in marriage, let your, your sons take wives in marriage, have, have children, have grandchildren. In other words, invest in your future. It's time to start thinking about just what you've lost. Start thinking about what your future is going to be like for the next few generations, because they may be here too. And then the final thing he says is seek the welfare of the city. And, and, then he, and then he concludes that with a blessing. He says, as long as the city, you seek the welfare of the city, you will experience welfare for yourself. In other words, what he is saying is notice the place that you're in. Notice the people around you and be a blessing to them. Because here's the kicker. It's not all about you. It never is. And, we, and as Christians, I have to think that, that we, we truly believe that in the deepest part of our hearts, or else we would not be followers of Christ. It is not all about us. It is about the kingdom of God. It is about bringing God's blessing to other people. And that's why he ends it with seek the welfare of the city. There are people around you. There is a community around you that you have been placed in. And so it's time for you to move on from your personal grief and start seeking to be a blessing to others. Now, if you look at verse 4 and verse 7 of this passage that we read, it says in both verses that God placed them in exile. In other words, God allowed this to happen, and it was for a specific reason. God knew that he wanted the people of Israel in Babylon at that specific time for a specific purpose. He allowed it to happen. He placed them there. And the reason why was so they could be a blessing to those around them. We have a, a saying that we use in ministry, and a lot of times it, it gets bandied around in, in uh, clergy meetings and conferences and stuff. Bloom where you are planted. I've heard that so many times where a district superintendent or a bishop will say that to, to the preachers. Bloom where you are planted, meaning wherever you're appointed, wherever you're sent, don't worry about whether or not you like being there. Just bloom and be a blessing there to the people who are there. And we say that in ministry, and I think a lot of times it sort of becomes a, a little cliche. It becomes a slogan, and, and we don't really think about what, it's, what it means. But it, it, we can all grab a hold of that and make that a motto. We can all say, no matter what happens in life, no matter where I am, what I'm going through, what situation God has placed me in, even if it's the wilderness, even if it's a complete place of uncertainty, of anxiety, of fear, I am still capable of being a blessing to other people in my present situation. Um, a good example of that uh, happened in the church that I grew up in. There was a man uh, who went through a, a terrible, terrible uh, spell in his life and um, I was probably about 14 or 15 years old, and I remember that this man had lost one of his children, and another one had run away from home, and, uh, and his third child had um, um, physical problems and was always in and out of the hospital. On top of all this, he found out that his wife had cancer. And so all of this hit this man at one time. And, and I just remember thinking, I feel so sorry for them. That's so un unfair. It was like a modern-day Job situation. How does, how does one person go through all of that in such a short period of time? But I remember this man. He got up 
one, one Sunday morning in church and he gave his testimony. And he said basically those two things that we said at the beginning of this sermon. God is with them. And God is good. And somehow in the midst of all his tragedy and all his grief, he found a way to stand up there in front of the congregation and praise God and say that he could sense God in his life, God carrying, through, uh, carrying him through the hard times. And he was able, through God's power, through God's grace, to say, it is well with my soul. And I remembered his testimony, and, it, and it, even for me as a teenager, it was so powerful, it impacted me. And I remember the choir that sang after he gave that testimony. They sang a song called The Anchor Holds. And there have been times in my life since then where I've gone through periods of doubt, fear, anxiety, uncertainty. And then I think back on, on that man. And I think about his testimony. And I think how someone in that situation can still say they feel God with them, they know God is with them, and they trust God, that God is good. And that's an inspiration. And it's carried me through some difficult times. And there in that man's wilderness, in that man's loneliness, and in, 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 in his tragedy, he was able to be a blessing to other people. And all these years later, his words continue to bless people who heard them and who remembered them. Uh, Y'all heard me talk about the lectionary before. I don't know if, if everybody knows what the lectionary is, but back in the 1960s, somebody divided the Bible up basically into to several passages where over the course of three years, preachers could preach through the whole Bible or read through the whole Bible, and, and you got Old Testament passages and Gospel passages and Psalm passages divided up each week. There's, there's some of each. And this week, this passage that I'm preaching from, from Jeremiah, is from the lectionary. But the gospel passage for this week can be tied into it. And I thought about using it instead. It was the one of the, the Good Samaritan. Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. And, and, and if, you're, if you know about the conflict there, the Samaritans and the Jews, they hated each other. But they were right there next to each other. And in the parable, Jesus talks about this, this Jewish man who was beaten and left for dead on the side of the road, and he's in his home country. We know that because other Jews walk past him. The priests walk by him, the rabbis walk past him, and they look at him and they keep going. But a Samaritan who was there in a land that he was probably very uncomfortable in, he was there in a land where he had a lot of enemies and people probably hated him. He probably didn't care for the other people either. But he was there, and he saw someone in need. And even though he was in a place where he wasn't comfortable, he was in a place where he, he didn't want to be, probably, he recognized that God had put him there to care for this person who needed help. And so the Samaritan took care of the man, nursed him back to help. And, and the, uh, the parable, the meaning is that everyone is your neighbor. But we can't say that everyone is our neighbor if we're constantly thinking about how we don't like the place where we are in our lives. Whether it's geographically or whether it's spiritually, emotionally, whatever it is, wherever we are in our lives, we have neighbors all around us who need help. And it's in our power to give them that help, to be a blessing to them. But first we have to accept our situation. Because once we do, then we can realize the value and the importance of the people around us. God has placed us where we are 
on purpose, whether it's a physical place or whether it's an unsettling situation or a, a place of uncertainty, whether we're concerned about our health, our future, or the health of a loved one. Sometimes we call these places the wilderness. And it's never fun being there. But that doesn't mean we should be complacent about being there. It does mean that we should accept God has placed us there. And if we can accept that, if we can understand that God has put us exactly where we are in life, then we can bloom there. It's difficult to bloom in the wilderness. But once you understand your environment and your surroundings, it becomes easier. God gives us the power to do so because he gives us the power to do his will. When we seek out the welfare of the people around us, the community around us, we can be a blessing to them, and in the process, we will be blessed as well, no matter where we are. Let us pray. Lord, we confess that we don't always understand where we are or why we are where we are. But Lord, we ask for grace. We ask that you give us the confidence to trust you, to know that no matter where we are, God is with us and God is good all the time. That you have something wonderful in store for us and wonderful in store for the people around us as long as we can recognize that you have placed us where we are in order for us to bloom, to be a blessing to others. Give us the grace, the ability to see this, to accept this. Give us the power to bless others in your name. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Our hymn of invitation this morning is hymn number 534, Be Still My Soul. If you've made a decision of any type this morning, I invite you and encourage you to come forward as we sing. Please stand if you are able. Hymn number 534.